and you cry out to God saying, save me or keep me from this happening. And we have this tendency to cry out to God. But there is no similar tendency then to trust Him after we've cried out to Him. We have this tendency, if you will, to just live our lives the way we want to live them until a difficulty arises that we can't fix. But my next question is, is if you do trust God in some general sense, my question is, for what do you trust God? See, that brings it a little more to home. Because let's face it, most of us, including me, kind of live the old adage that even some people think that's in the Bible, and it isn't. God helps those who help themselves. And so we're always trying to be independent of God. And we only turn to God or cry out to God or trust God when we no longer can handle the circumstances. Maybe we or a loved one has been diagnosed with some sort of disease. And if the doctors can't seem to do anything or we don't want that disease, then we call out to God, but even then it's not necessarily a trust because we're not sure what's going to happen. We're again calling out. We don't trust the circumstances. The reason why I'm bringing up those questions is because they're very relevant for you and me. They also show what happens with the people of God as they are journeying from where they were in slavery to where they're going, where God promised, to the promised land. And by the same way, we, his children, are on a journey. We're on a journey from where God called us to be believers to someday when we will see God face to face. And there is that question during that time, what is it that you trust God for? And most of us who believe, based on the Scriptures, that salvation is by grace and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, we trust God for our salvation. We say, well, God, I can't save me. You can save me. I'm trusting you and there. But what else do you trust Him for? You've already come to the conclusion you can't save yourself, so there's no one else you can trust but God. But what about everything else in life? And that's what we're going to see that the children of God do that so often we do as well. So in Exodus chapter 16, it says this, Then they, that being the congregation of Israel, set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. So about 45 days. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now notice, it's not a few people. It's not a lot of people. It's not the majority of people. It's almost everybody is grumbling against Aaron and Moses because Aaron and Moses are the leaders that God has used to 
bring forth his children out of Egypt and to lead them. But God himself is in their presence. God himself has been leading them. And yet, instead of having the real guts to complain against God himself, they complain against his leaders, which Aaron and Moses understand is not a complaint against them, but against God. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. You have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, this will not be the last time that when there's problems, that the people of God say, yeah, but it was better back then. Yeah, it would have been better to die back then. Back then, when their babies were thrown into the Nile. Back then, when they were impressed with hard labor. Back then, when they were slaves. Back then, when they didn't trust God, they just called out to Him. And now it's necessary to trust God. But rather than trust Him, they want to go back then. And as I get older and I talk about the good old days, the good old days were not all that good. They were old, but they were not that good. Because we as humans tend to forget the bad and remember the good. So the reality is the good old days was the good bad and good days. But they're always wanting to go back. And that's... It drives me crazy as I read this, but then as I see my life, it drives me crazy as I always want to go back. But again, it's a lack of faith in God. Why would God deliver his people out of Egypt only to kill them in the desert when he had promised to take them with, to a land flowing with milk and honey? Why would God kill them in the desert with hunger when he parted the Red Sea? and destroy the Egyptian army. Why would God do that? You see, it's a basic misunderstanding of who God is and what His promises are. And all too often, we get these ideas of what God's promises are that aren't His promises. Because we'll hear pastors talk about, well, God had told me to do X, Y, and Z and give a whole bunch of money so we can build all these things, and then things don't happen, and we wonder why God failed. Look at the promises of God and depend on them. Not what some hair-praying preacher might say. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them. You see, God is going to deliver, but God is going to use its deliverance as a test. Now, this test isn't for God to figure out whether his people are faithful or not, because he already knows. The test is for them to find out whether they trust him or not. So when God tests you or you feel you're going through a test, it's not for God to figure, well, I'm going to see what Miss X does. It's God knows. He wants you to see who you trust do you trust circumstances 
or do you trust him? So he's going to test them. Whether they're not, they will walk in my instructions. Are they going to take seriously my word? I'm going to tell them something. Are they going to follow it? On the sixth day, when they prepare, I'm sorry. So, so I'm going to repeat it. So then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumbling against the Lord. And what are we that you should grumble against us? He's saying, you're grumbling against us, but we're nothing. We're just the ones who tell you what God is going to do. Your grumble and your gripes are with God. Now, isn't it interesting that they're still reaffirming that God was the one who delivered them out of Egypt? Apparently, the ten plagues weren't enough. Apparently, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night is not enough. Apparently, walking through the Red Sea on dry land and destroying the Egyptian army is not enough. To show them that God is who He is, He's going to provide them bread daily. Except... On the sixth day, they're to gather twice as much bread so that they may not work on the seventh day, the Sabbath, just as God rested on the seventh day. So here's God's test. I'm going to feed you daily. Are you going to listen? And in my instructions, I have instructed you that you are to rest on the seventh day. You're to do no work. So you're to gather extra on the sixth day so that you may not have to work on the seventh day because way back in the beginning of the writings, God created the world and the universe in six days and he rested on the seventh. So those are the instructions. Pretty simple. Every day, I'm going to feed you, except on Friday. Saturday, Friday, you'll, you'll gather twice as much. Saturday, you won't work. Those are the instructions. Pretty simple. Not difficult theological questions. Have bread every day. Gather it for that day. But on Friday, gather it twice. Now, Jesus understood something that they don't understand. Back when he was in the wilderness, and you find this in Matthew chapter 4, first couple of verses, it says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, and this if you are the Son of God is if you are and you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. 
But he answered and said, it is written. Now he's going to quote the tempter, a passage that comes from Deuteronomy. So he's going to use scriptures in his combat with the devil. Man shall not live on bread alone. But, but I'm going to stop there. That's different than most of us. All we care about is the physical, the bread, the bread. Am I going to be, if, if things are sufficient, do I have enough for life to be good? But Jesus says that's not what the purpose of life is. You are not to live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word of God is more sustaining to our lives than bread itself. But we always tend to want to get that which is lesser than that which is better. We concentrate on the bread and not the Word of God. We praise God because He fed us, not because He's with us. We praise God because the circumstances are good, not because He's with us and speaking to us. But Jesus understood that life is not a brought the physical alone. As a matter of fact, the disciples wanted to learn how to pray because John taught his disciples and many rabbis taught their disciples how to pray. And I'm not going to give you the whole prayer, but in, in uh, Matthew 6, Starting in verse 7, it says this, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. However, He's going to tell you this is what you're to ask, even though God already knows. Pray then this way, Our Father, the one that we have a relationship with, the one that is our sustainer, our provider, and the one who created us, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, holy, righteous be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Notice it's about God first. It's about God's glory. It's about God's purposes. It's about what God is doing in this world and the world above. Then he gets on earth as it is in heaven. Then he gets to the physical. Give us this day a lottery winning so we don't need you anymore. Give this day a million dollars and a freezer full of food. Notice what Jesus teaches his disciples. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. God, give me enough today to satisfy my needs today. Just as he showed his people back then that we're talking about now, he's going to feed them daily. Trust him that today he feeds you and tomorrow he will feed you. Give us this day our daily bread. 
Now, God is going to do this, and I'm going to sh- go to one more verse in the New Testament, and then we'll go back. And that's found in John chapter 6. Um, and I'm going to start with... Uh, I'm going to start with verse 28, although in the bulletin it says a little later than that. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work, you may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Again, it's always about the signs. And as I've shared with you, most of the time, I won't say every single time, but almost all the times that signs are performed, no faith is really generated. Faith is there and then a sign may be performed for the one to be healed, but nobody else around there ever got the message. And so they're still asking for signs. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Great quote. God gave them daily bread. What they left out was, didn't generate any faith, they failed the test. Yes, God did this, but what was their response? Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. It wasn't Moses. Your hero worshiping Moses. Moses was simply a leader. God was the one giving bread. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who given bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Similar to the woman who said, give me this drink to drink that I don't have to do. Again, it's the thought of my physical needs are satisfied and that's all I care about. And Jesus is not talking about physical needs. He's talking about eternity and spiritual matters. Verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that, if, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says, the story that we're about to see about manna coming down from heaven, this bread, is just a symbol and a showing of what God is really doing in real life. That Jesus is this manna, the bread of life that came down from heaven. And this manna will give us not one day of sustenance, but eternal 
life. Let's go back to Exodus 16, verses 8 through 12. Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregations of the sons of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumblings. And it came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, that they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. It's not, I am the Lord that delivered you from Egypt. Is that I am the Lord. This sign is to show you who I am. Just as Jesus said, Jesus was sent to show you who God is, that you may see the true bread. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. And when the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? They're kind of, you know, this isn't normal. We haven't seen this before. We don't even know what to call it. So they said, what is it? For they don't know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every day as much as he should eat. And you shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. And the sons of Israel did so. Some gathered much and some gathered little. And when they measured it, with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. In essence, God is saying, I am going to provide for everybody. The caloric intake, if you will, of this food, whatever it is you eat, no matter how much you eat or how little you eat, gives you the same benefit. I need this food. Because it seems that when I eat things, they stay. But God is saying, eat it. No one is going to go hungry and no one's going to go fat. You're going to be provided. So gather enough that everybody should eat. Here's the second instruction. And Moses said to them, let no man leave any of it until morning. Why? Because God is teaching them and testing them that I am going to provide for you daily. If you collect more than today's provision, you're not trusting me because you're thinking tomorrow I'll take a nap and forget about you. And that's not going to happen. So gather just what you need for today. That's the second, second instruction. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left a part of it until morning. 
you know, a penny saved is a penny earned. I'm going to hold on to this because, I, I don't know, maybe something will happen. And it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry at them. So now you got this wormy, smelly stuff in your tent. Probably all Moses had to do is walk by the tents and he could get a whiff of the aroma. It's obvious that they did not trust God. So they failed the test on the first day. They couldn't even trust God for one day. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But when the sun grew hot, it would melt. There, collect it, and it's gone. Verse 22, Now on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, This is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses had ordered, and they did it, and they did not become foul, nor was there any worm found in it. So it's miraculous, if you will. Six days, if you leave it one day extra, worms and odor. But if you collect it on Friday and leave it to Saturday... It's okay. You can bake it. You can boil it. You can prepare it however you want. And it's, nothing's going to happen to it because God had given you instructions. And the instruction was, I'm going to provide for you daily, but I want you to rest on the seventh day just as I rested so that you might contemplate who I am and be in my presence. Moses said to eat it today, for today is the Sabbath of the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh, the Sabbath, there will be none. This is before the law. This is still God teaching his people what he's expecting of them, how they are to be separated from others, and how they're to be holy. And it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Now, this is slightly encouraging. Notice it said some of the people. Before, it was like a whole bunch of people. So finally, more people are starting to trust God and say, okay, we can, the Sabbath will rest because he said so. But again, there were those who said, I'm going to go gather because today is like any other day. But there wasn't any there. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See that the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. God is saying, you failed the test, and I'm not happy. And let's face it, 
This is a pretty simple instruction. Depend on the daily bread. Rest on the Sabbath. It's not complicated. It's not theological questions that we have to debate and wonder what the meaning of this particular word is. Simple instructions. Gather one day, eat one day. Day before Sabbath, collect for two days. Rest on the seventh. You're even supposed to fix the food beforehand and then eat it, not preparing it. So my question, what do you trust God for? Do we want to, we want to learn how to pray? And Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And he teaches it consistent with how God speaks. Give us this day our daily bread. But do we trust him? for our daily bread? Do we trust Him for the necessities of life? Do we trust Him? Or do we think we're simply going to be held out there and die, and wasn't it better if we died someplace else? And quite frankly, the answer is, it is better to die in the desert if that is where God led you than to never have walked with Him at all. But God will not let you die in the desert when you're gathering, walking with him because God has made a promise to never leave you nor forsake you. The house, verse 31, the house of Israel named it this white stuff that came down, manna. Now, for most of us, we think, well, that's kind of a neat word because that's what we've always called manna that came down from heaven. The word manna means what is it? That's what manna means. So throughout the rest of the time that they're going to collect this stuff, they're never going to call it bread from heaven. They're going to call it, what is it? I think that's humorous. We're just told, what is it? But it's going to describe to us here and in their other places that it describes and it was like coriander seed. Coriander seed, I believe, is pretty fine. And it tastes, was like wafers with honey. Again, what is God's promise? That he is going to take them to a land filled with milk and honey. And as they walk in the wilderness, and as he provides for them day by day, and twice on Friday. He's going to give them a taste, a hint of what it's going to be like to be in the promised land because this, what is it, will taste a little bit like honey. I guess the closest is one of those honey graham crackers or something. It's, it's a wafer that tastes like honey. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded let an omer full of it be kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer full of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As, 
the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. Here's something, again, that God instructs. And there are times that we see the men of God doing, even at times that he doesn't instruct. So, for instance, back with Abram. When Abram would kind of get away from God, he'd come back to the place that he kind of got away from God, and he'd build an altar. Here God is doing something. Just as when he delivered them from Egypt, he said, I want you to remember this day throughout your generations. And I want you to eat unleavened bread in remembrance of that as a bread of haste. And when you eat it, I want you to not eat it. Well, God did that for great-grandfathers so many years ago. It's when God delivered us. God is using this manna and again saying, I want you to take it and save it to remember what God has done, not for them, but for you. And I think you and I would be well-suited when God does something in our lives or in our family's lives, that we would do something as a memorial to remember that when God did it, it wasn't, oh yeah, I remember way back. It's a testimony. It speaks to us. And in this speaking is that God provides daily. So maybe... The next time God does something to deliver you, maybe the next time that God does something to provide for you, that you take some of that, a writing, a song, a rock, something that says, this thing will remind me that God did that for me. And that I'm going to use that to teach my children and their children and their children, and their children, that God is a God who provides. God is a God who never leaves you nor forsakes you. God is one, even in the bitterness of our struggle, getting from this place to the house of God forever, that even in that bitter struggle, we too have manna that tastes like honey. As the scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, you know the sweet taste of God. Therefore, the band is going to come up and we're going to lead us into this, the music that says, walk by faith. You see, we walk in this life. A lot of people say that our journey is one that's blind. It's blind faith. No, it is not blind faith. We walk because God told us to walk, and we walk according to his instructions, and we want to be people of God who are pleasing to God, who do not fail the test, but rely on him. So our journey is a journey of faith. We walk not by sight, but by faith. So our walk is, if he tells us to walk in the middle of the Red Sea, then we walk in the middle of the Red Sea because it's going to part or we're going to walk on top of it. Or if he chooses to drown us, fine. But we're going to follow what he said because we can trust him. 
And all God's people said,